I think a lot of people miss the value in having a strong back, having strong shoulders, having yeah, a strong a core point. when it comes to endurance and speed. You can't be stronger if you don't have the muscles to support it. And you're going to get hurt if you try to do that without mm -hmm. the support. Welcome to the Zero Quit Podcast, where I bring you candid conversations with elite athletes, entrepreneurs, specialists, and other creatives. I'm your host, Brock Covington, and through these dialogues, you will hear powerful stories and practical advice that will help you live a more active and intentional life. If you enjoy the show, be sure to subscribe and share it with a friend. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Zero Quit Podcast. Today, I have on Victoria Loving. She is an athlete and a physical therapist based out of Austin, Texas. She works with athletes and patients within the clinical setting, but also works as a traveling PT through her business, Vagabond Running, Physio, and Fitness. How are you doing, Victoria? Good, good. How are good. you? I can't complain. It's been a it's been a long day, but a good day. I had a long weekend um, a couple of days ago, I guess at this point, almost a full week out of Leadville, and that was a uh, a hell of an experience. Good, good running vibe, high energy, and all of that. But um, it, for a little bit of background knowledge too, it was a pleasure to meet you. Uh, Victoria was at our cool down run we did in collaboration with Switchback, my uh, one of my company, me and Jeremy. Um, well, we just launched yesterday, but we, we have launched and been working on for a while. So that's how we originally met. And um, I'm stoked to hear more about what you do. I know we talked about it a little bit when you were in town, but uh, I think that's a good like starting point is how did you get into PT? What drew you in? What was like uh, the kind of allure to PT? Yeah, um, I always knew that I wanted to do something in the medical field. That's just where my interest, interest yeah. lied. Um, academically. Um, and I knew med school and being a physician was just, it was too, too daunting yeah. <laughs> and just too stressful. And I wanted to enjoy life at the yeah. same time. Um, and so I was a competitive cheerleader going through um, junior high and high school. So I had my fair share of interactions with athletic trainers and physical mm. therapists. And that's just kind of what I, I knew I was going to do. I never really had a PT who, um, you know, really helped me or changed my life. I just, I saw them frequently and I just, that's what I knew I was going to do. Um, so I'm lucky in the fact that I knew that early and I, I liked yeah. it enough and, um, made it yeah. through, uh, to the end. Yeah, there. I was drawn yeah. into it too. I think around like early high school where I was like, how can I do something physical athletic beyond high school? And I was looking at PT and I was like, well, you know, it does have a, you know, a graduate or doctorate program, but it's not too long. It's not too expensive, too extensive. Um, so kind of similar mindset as you. And uh, I, I went to it was a local university and where I grew up in Richmond, Virginia, VCU, and they had a like a summer program for high school students, went to that and um, really enjoyed it. It was a lot centered around like TBIs too. So it wasn't just like more of the, uh, it's still obviously related to physiology, but, but more like the brain centered. But in general, I was like, oh, this is probably what I want to do. And then I started shadowing uh, like the next year and quickly realized Personally, this is not what I wanted to do because as I'm sure you know, which is probably what you're trying to get out of, but also maybe what you've avoided is a lot of PT and any kind of clinical practice can be very mundane, monotonous, tedious. It's old people coming in and they just want, you know, uh, they want a cold pack on their back and they just, you know, they have neck pain and it's, it, it can be very boring. You, you get the occasional athlete coming in maybe in their twenties and thirties and they have, you know, a higher spirit and energy, but for the most part, it can be very boring. You're dealing with paperwork and insurance. Um, so with that in mind, what has your experience been? What kind of practice are you in? And like, how do you 
have you been more involved with athletes or, or how are you transitioning to be more in that uh, exciting athletic realm of PT? Yeah, so exactly like you said, Brock, I have, um, I graduated in 2018. And you know, as a green PT, you take a job where you can. And so I was very deep in the healthcare system. Um, And even now I'm still in a medical office. And the more time I spend in medical offices and deep in the throes of healthcare, the more that I need to get out of it. And the more that I need to make it my own. Um, And yeah, a lot of a lot of the patients that I see are where they are because they did not take advantage of their younger mm-hmm. years. They did not um, educate themselves how to take care of themselves from a nutrition standpoint, from a movement standpoint, any of that. Um, so now, you know, they're older, it's harder and they want to do it even up. less. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's frustrating. Um, and so with that frustration, I, I knew that I loved my field and loved the the components of what Mm -hmm. I do, but I needed to put my passion back into it. And my passion is Mm -hmm. running. I didn't find that passion until PT school. I signed up for a half marathon on a whim and then just haven't really stopped since. Um, And since then it's only grown. So it's just kind of consuming my, my mental energy. So why not make my career out of it? Um, So that's where I created my business and um, I am, running a running based PT company here in Austin. Um, yeah. And that's how, that's yeah. How that went. <laughs> yeah. Well, I remember it. Cause when, when I was talking to you and you said you were traveling PT, I was almost thinking like traveling nurse style where you're going state to state, you're kind of bouncing around. And then when, you know, you reached out like more into it and I was like, Oh, like you just mainly, which I guess it's still the definition of traveling, but you know, you're traveling to the actual patient in their setting, in their home or environment and trying to work with them, which I think is pretty cool and unique. Um, speaking of the clinical setting, what are some of the, I guess, if you can think of any mistakes or antiquated practices that still exist in PT, um, that maybe are starting to change? Because I feel like the more that, uh, we've had younger PTs come in that are maybe taking a more, uh, proactive approach to work with athletes rather than just telling them, Hey, just rest and wait and ice. People are going, Oh, maybe like actually icing is not the best thing, you know, long-term because we do want to rush in blood flow. We do want to, you know, get some more movement instead of just tell people to rest until their, their injury has uh, healed. So I guess what are some of those maybe old school practices that you still being done that you think could be corrected? Yeah. A lot of them are surrounding, um, protocols and modalities. Mm-hmm. So um, you, when you go into this field, you come out entry level. So you've just passed your test. You know what you need to know to not seriously hurt someone. And so from there, you learn by, by experience. You learn with what you see and you learn based on mm-hmm. what people tell you. And so you see a lot of clinicians who have been doing the same thing their entire career because that's what they were told the first time and they think yeah. it's right. So there's a lot of um, sticking to what is comfortable. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is a field that's really hard to keep up research-wise um, just because you're so busy in the clinic. If you're in a traditional outpatient clinic, you're seeing three and four patients So is it, it kind of sounds like more, um, like more complacency, less innovation in the field? Yeah, a little bit. And some of it is, well, this is what worked for me. So I'm always Mm going to do it instead of, um, you know, no training program is black and white. So physical therapy shouldn't, shouldn't be any different. So using the same protocol 
for every single patient or um, a modality that you've been using for, you know, 20 plus years without knowing mm -hmm. what it's doing or, um, you know, choosing it specifically for that patient because of, you know, signs they're displaying or their background and your yeah. knowledge, um, I think is where we fall into a trap. Um, and then, you know, this field is, is full yeah. of doctors. So you, you get the, the ego behind yeah. a doctorate sometimes too. And so if, if you're a young PT and you come out with new research, that older PT is not going to yeah, want to hear it. I'm sure that happens um, a lot. So you get a little bit of that too. Yeah, I, I, yeah, I feel like it is yeah. a lot. Yeah, just sticking to what's in the book and and funneling people through what has worked rather than really trying to uh, yeah kind of you know be a little bit more creative with with ways we can attack this specific patient or athlete. Uh, one question I was thinking about earlier today that I wanted to ask you is when is when is the point that you think someone should see a PT versus just kind of rest and figure it out on their own. I'll give you an example. So uh, I dealt with IT band syndrome much of last year and I, I didn't see a PT. Some of it was like, I didn't want to spend the time, spend the money, but a lot of it was me personally, which can't apply to everybody. But I have a lot of experience with my own physical body from years of lifting, but also years of being a personal trainer. So in a lot of ways, I'm a special case because I can understand, okay, if I'm dealing with this IT band issue, I can understand, oh, it's coming from the hip. Okay, it's glute medius. I understand like the body, the motor patterns, um, you know, the different uh, contractions. I understand how the body works, basically, the whole physiology behind it. Um, and so I prolonged that and it took me longer than maybe it needed to. But my, my fear was going to a PT and them telling me just rest. So I was trying to work at that, uh, you know, work through it on my own. And I did. At what point, um, if there is a point where, where you would advise a, an athlete and say, Hey, at this point, you do need to see a PT. It's beyond the rest. Um, I am just a big proponent of if something is bothering you, just go okay. right away. I am a big proponent in having more of like a primary care relationship with a physical mm -hmm. therapist instead of an in emergency kind of relationship with a physical gotcha. therapist. If you wait to go until that pain, you've tried to get rid of it for four, mm -hmm. weeks, six weeks, two months, then you've wasted all that time trying to fix it when, you know, or made you could have gone in when yeah. it was a small pain. Exactly. Um, and I do think you're right. Like you've got education on your mm -hmm. side. Most people don't have that education. And, um, so it's tough to say, I would say sooner than not, I've done it. Um, I hurt my hip a couple mm -hmm. years ago running and I went to a running PT here in town because I was like, I, while I know my body, I'm sure there's something going on that I yeah. cannot see. So what I feel is probably different than what is happening. And I don't have, I need to kind of take mm -hmm. a step out, have somebody who's not biased, not me, yeah. take a look at it. Absolutely. So I'm a big proponent of um, having that really fluid relationship with a physical therapist and the, um, you know, direct access program is becoming more and more prominent throughout the nation. So you can usually in most States, you can go into a PT and make an appointment for an evaluation without needing mm -hmm. a referral from an MD. So you can go and they can determine, yeah, this is probably musculoskeletal or, um, actually I think you need to go get imaging. You need to see your primary care provider or an orthopedist, something mm -hmm. like that. Um, so it's becoming easier. So I just further, yeah. further support for make the evaluation, just yeah. give them a call. I like um, that. 
because it, it can get yeah, tricky. I like that point mm -hmm. of, you know, not only just, uh, hey, address it early and stop wasting time or potentially making it worse, but specifically that idea of having a relationship with your healthcare provider, because it, it is, I think that's just part of our, our broken or antiquated healthcare system. It's difficult because you have so many of these barriers, whether they are insurance or traditional protocol that has been roadblocked or, or impeded some of these relationships. But as you mentioned, things are changing, things are evolving and allowing people to kind of get that direct access that they need, be able to go right to the source. And uh, I think that is pretty critical. So with that in mind, let's talk about some of these common runner injuries. Uh, I'm going to rattle off a few and then, you know, any common ones you think of. And we can just, I guess, spend a few minutes on each one just talking about, you know, what, what is typically triggering it and what are some of the solutions. So I think a, a common one people get is a shin splint. So, you know, what what is typically the cause that you see with that uh, and, and what is usually the uh, the treatment for that? Oh, that posterior tib, yeah. bitch. Let me tell you, um, that was the very first runner's injury I had, and it took years yeah. <laughs> to resolve. Um, it is, it is just it's fickle and it's purely overuse and inflammation. You have a very small area for these tendons mm -hmm. to run through, and your posterior, your posterior to the gallus muscle. What it does particularly with running is when you strike mm -hmm. your foot, it controls your foot from slamming into the ground. So if you don't have that strength and that eccentric control to lower your forefoot to the ground, you are just rubbing things raw. You are creating inflammation just all the way mm -hmm. up the chain. Um, so then your whole shin is inflamed. You, um, you know, you're tugging on the bones and you are just miserable. Um, so a lot of it is just missing that eccentric control and eccentric control just by nature requires more motor units and requires more strength than a typical concentric where you're contracting your muscle and making mm -hmm. it shorter instead of contracting it and making it yeah. longer. Um, so that's, so, yeah. That's how do you, <laughs> how do you guys work that? Or if you can like isolate, cause I'm very familiar with like training your anterior tibialis on uh, you know, they have those nice machines, right? You can work that. It's basically just uh was it dorsiflexion. Right. And so I guess, what mm -hmm. do you, how, how do you address uh, working on that and strengthening that? So strengthening it very similar to the way that you would with mm -hmm. tibialis anterior. Um, the difference between tibialis anterior and tibialis posterior, they both be both dorsiflex, mm -hmm. but um, one of them has an inversion moment. One of them has an eversion and plantar mm -hmm. flexion moment. So it's, it's not a one, one movement muscle, just very few of our muscles of course, are one yeah. movement muscles. Um, so using anytime you're training the tibialis anterior, you're going to be getting a little bit of tib post, um, and then making sure that you're, um, strengthening your plantar flexors, your ankle complex, um, your ankle moves in so yeah, many different say, directions that you need to like strengthen uh, all grabbing of them. a mini band, I would say, and, you know, working some of that, obviously dorsiflexion, but maybe with supination or pronation. Yeah, absolutely. And the crucial part with shin splints is it's the weight bearing, mm. it's the loading, it's the closed chain. So I think using a mini band is an excellent warm up to get things firing so that you don't create shin splints if you don't already have them. But once you already have them, you need to let that pain, that inflammation subside, and then you need to train it in weight bearing and increase that eccentric load um, without pain to strengthen it. And then you'll prevent it from then on. So I think the the mini band is a great warm up, and then the true 
work and strengthening is done in that weight bearing okay. position. All right, move, moving on. IT band syndrome. So that's one <laughs> that I dealt with forever and, and to kind of uh, assist it over to you. Uh, what I found was the biggest problem with me and with a lot of runners is just neglecting glutes, specifically the glute medius. And uh, so, so that's what I found to be my biggest uh, issue. So what, what have you seen with IT band syndrome and what do you, uh, what's typically the protocol yeah. for that? I can confidently say 0% of people have a glute medius that is strong <laughs> enough for what we're yeah. trying to do. Um, I have suffered from that one as well. You see, you always hear runners complain. They get those race photos back and it's like a down step and you're like, mm. Ooh, that down step is rough. It's because they have that hip drop, hip drop because their glute medius mm. isn't strong enough. Um, so a hundred percent of people need to be strengthening their glute yeah. med for sure. Um, but IT, IT band syndrome is tough. And this kind of falls into the question you asked me earlier about um, antiquated yes. practices. A lot of, a lot of them That's fall why into I IT never band. went, not to cut you off. That's why I, ref, not refuse no. to go to PT, but I, I tried to push it off to like last resort because I, when I would mm -hmm. Google it, it was just, people were like, uh, roll it out. Don't roll it out. Um, this or that. And I, and I really came down to the idea like, yeah, the IT band's way too thick of a tendon to roll out. You're not getting anything with that. Putting pressure on it's not fixing it. Uh, and it, it was just interesting seeing, yeah, again, like the diverse of opinions on it. And like you said, a, a lot of it was just antiquated. And I had to dig deep to really find people that were coming up with valuable uh, solutions, essentially. And I, I stumbled upon a lot of mini band. Yeah. I stumbled upon glute medius. And, you know, it's also something that I guess we can dig into now, too, is the idea of not just resting and, and letting things go away because you don't really solve the problem that – or you don't solve what created the problem in the first place, right? So I'm a huge advocate of if you can do something, do something. Like what, what can we do in the meantime that's not going to hurt the muscle and that it, you know, or, or the injury and further, further injure yourself? And might even help it, like just getting movement and blood flow, like just walking. If you can walk without pain on IT band, you're at least getting getting that muscle moving, um, starting to work those same motor patterns, and uh, you know could even rush some more blood flow to the area and speed up the recovery. So uh, I kind of took the wheel there, but but back over to you. <laughs> uh, so what are some of those old school practices, and, and what are you more leaning towards today? Yeah, so a lot of it is your, I mean, you hit the nail on the head. Um, a lot of, oh, you got to roll it out. You stretch gotta it. Stretch That's the other it. one. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> your, your IT band is non-tensile tissue. You can't stretch yeah. your IT band. So where people miss is they need to one figure out is why is the IT band hurting? So is it something from the hip? Is it something from the knee? Is it down in the foot and the ankle? Are they over pronating? Mm -hmm. Do they have a, a severe like knee valgus moment or something like that? Um, most of the time it is glute med. You're right. Um, but then you also need to take a look at the muscles that attach into the IT band. So your glutes attach into the IT band. You have a hip flexor and a hip rotator that attaches mm -hmm. into the IT band. So you need to usually shift your gaze up into the hip and address the problem there. Yeah. You might have like some scar tissue and like some sticky areas in the IT band that soft tissue work or like a Theragun can mm -hmm. help but you're not, you're not fixing anything. If you're not touching like muscle yeah. tissue, um, the IT band is purely fascia, just connecting it down mm -hmm. into your knee. Um, so you're beating the crap out of it and you're miserable for no reason. Yeah, it is. 
it, but it will leave you hitting your head against the wall, just frustrated with it. But uh, another another common running mm-hmm. injury that I think some people get, and if there's if there's a better one, then we can swap to that one. But you know, one that I hear about is plantar fasciitis. Do you see that somewhat commonly? I see that common just in That's humans. True, yeah. Um, I <laughs> yeah, just I have a lot of lot of athletes. I honestly see it less in athletes than I do in you know more of my overweight yeah. older population of patients. Um, but yeah, it's another nagging one. These, most of these really nagging injuries are associated with non-muscular tissue. Mm -hmm. So just like the IT band is fascia, plantar fasciitis is also fascia. So it's what keeps the tendons and the muscles on the bottom of your foot connected from your heel up into your toes. So if that's tight, then it's compressing everything and you have a lot of nerves that run on the bottom of your foot. So now you're compressing Mm -hmm. neural structures and you're going to get even more pain, um, yeah. So that one, that one's tough. That one's actually, um, I've seen a lot of good research and seen a lot of good results with dry mm. needling treating plantar fasciitis. Um, and it is a sensitive process and it is painful, but it helps yeah. dramatically. Well, no pun intended. I want to put a pen or a needle in that for a moment <laughs> and, uh, talk about stretching, warm up, cool down. Cause this is something that I think is, uh, there's a lot of controversy in both the lifting, uh, sphere and also just fitness fear overall is people kind of look down upon stretching. Some of it is misconception. Some of it is just, again, uh, old school practice coming through. Like, for example, you don't want a static stretch before exercise. I think that's pretty, uh, you know, foundational. I think people understand that. Um, and I think people are more accustomed to dynamic stretching and warming up. I think people have come around to that. But what are your perspectives on static stretching after the value of it, injury prevention, um, or, or what would you advise for like a cool down? Because, uh, again, I think a lot of people think stretching is pretty superfluous. It's not really doing anything. It's kind of a waste of time. And again, we, as we referenced, there are some, you know, there might be some fascia like your IT band where there is, there, there is no stretching it, but obviously most muscles that we're talking about quads, glutes, hamstrings, or psoas or something like that, we can stretch. So what, what are your thoughts on that whole, I guess, genre of stretching cool down in terms of injury prevention or recovery? Um, I am, a, I don't have a ton That's of opinions okay. on it. If it feels, if it feels good, yeah, for sure. Um, I am also not super negative on static mm. stretching. I do a little bit of it as the very first thing, just to like kind of get my bearings and like build some proprioception in my joints before I start doing my dynamic warm up. Um, so I appreciate that and I can respect that after, um, I would say more of like a fair gun recovery, more of your traditional, um, like cold plunge recoveries, contrast, things like that. I am more keen on as opposed to stretching after I think you could run into a risk especially with, you know, more of the serious athletes and people who are really committed and very, um, you know, gung ho mm-hmm. and no pain, no gain kind of athletes, I can see them taking static stretching too far. So at the end of your workout, you're fatigued, your proprioception is going to be impaired, you are tired, you're, um, you're going to have areas of overuse and things like that, that need um, something other than to be elongated and mm-hmm. held there. Um, so I would say as far as post-exercise steer, steer away from flexibility, um, 
or any sort of stretching, particularly would you, static. Would you advise it almost similar to cold therapy? So, for example, for hypertrophy, they say you want to wait like two, three hours uh, after your workout before mm-hmm. you're going to be actually inhibiting that response you're looking for. Would you still advise for some flexibility, whether it be yoga or whatever, hours after training? You think there'd be more, that would be a more valuable approach? Yeah. Yeah, I do. Cause then at that point you've kind of settled the system down. You've got your initial shock of, okay, if you just went on a 10 mile run, you've got Mm -hmm. those, um, you know, that kind of jello feeling out of the way you've kind of got your bearings back Mm -hmm. into your system. And I think it's going to be much safer that way. At that point, I probably wouldn't see the value in static stretching, um, particularly for recovery. Um, but I think the injury for or the risk of injury at that point would be a lot less. Yeah, because my thought on stretching, I haven't, again, I'm not too uh, dogmatic in my belief, but I do feel like stretching overall, the more your, your, your body can get into a fuller range of motion, be stronger in a fuller range of motion, which maybe lends its hand into the strength training aspect, but I've always felt like a, a flexible, Absolutely. strong body is a more resilient body, but... I think we're in agreement either way on that. What are some uh, absolutely? <laughs> what are some other factors that are leading to injury or tight muscles? So, like uh, in a lot of patients. So, for like example, one thing that comes to mind is just people being in a sedentary job or lack of sleep. Uh, those are just some things that I'm thinking about. But what what are some of these factors outside of training per se, or things you do in the clinic that you advise people to think about? Yeah, like you said, so many people are stuck at a desk. Um, for, you know, hours on end, or they're in front Mm -hmm. of a TV, or they're on their phones, things like that. Um, But I think the most generalized I can make it is humans tend to hold their stress in very specific muscle patterns. And that's where I see it most commonly. So, you know, as you stress out your shoulders Mm -hmm. start to come up here, and then your, your traps are, um, are really tight and sensitive and painful. And then from there, you can get shoulder pain, Mm -hmm. and you can get some impingement and things like that. Um, you know, as far as, uh, as far as stress goes, we also carry stress in our, our hips. So, you know, especially you gentlemen, your hip flexors, they don't go anywhere. Your hips do not rotate at all. Um, definitely, um, we just have common patterns where we carry our stress and that's where we tend to cope, um, on a day-to-day basis. And then, you know, it just kind of spirals from there. Um, past that, I'd say it gets more person and activity specific. Um, so just any repetitive motion, chances are you're going to have a short Mm -hmm. tense muscle, um, and have probably overuse on the opposite side or more strains and things like that on the mirroring muscle because it's stretched out and it's too weak to contract. So I'd say aside from like stress Mm -hmm. patterns, um, usually it's pretty activity specific. Yeah. So let's talk about strength training a little bit. And I think Again, this has had more of an emergence, I think, in the past few years where you've seen a lot more runners be open to strength training and get more involved with it. Um, First of all, what kind of strength training are you or are you not doing? And then uh, two, how do you start to introduce that to patients uh, as they come in the clinic and kind of how do you advise them with that? Yeah, I think this wave of hybrid athletics is the best thing that could have happened to to running. Absolutely. me personally, I, I try to hit, um, you know, your, your push pull Mm -hmm. leg at least every single week, um, on top of my running days, just so, I mean, 
to be a faster runner, you have to be mm -hmm. strong everywhere. So I think a lot of people miss the value in having a strong back, having strong shoulders, having yeah, a strong a core point. when it comes to endurance and speed. You can't be stronger if you don't have the muscles to support it. And you're going to get hurt if you try to do that without mm -hmm. the support. Um, so I think it's super important. And luckily, you are seeing more of the people understand that value and enjoy it. Um, but you will get those people who are like, I am, I only do cardio yeah. or I only lift. Yeah. yeah. So I love the merging of the worlds um, that has happened over the last mm -hmm. few years. Um, but you are going to get those people who are like, not a chance. Yeah. Um, but it's also tough. It's a time commitment. It definitely adds it to, it adds to the training, but it is, it's a game changer for sure. I, um, since I have put more of an emphasis on that, I have not gotten any serious injuries or any injuries that's been, you know, longer than a mm -hmm. day or two in several years. Yeah. The, the benefit um, I, I really go yeah. to is, uh, one, as you mentioned, performance benefits, and that's just coming from, you know, stronger, more stable muscles, all of that. But the other one that I think that goes pretty unnoticed, except for the fact that you don't get injured, is you know uh, a huge benefit of strength training is, of course, increasing your bone density and bone health and all of that. And uh, I think that's super crucial for repetitive use type of sports and activities like running, where you're pounding, pounding, pounding on your legs. And if you can make your you know uh, your tibia, fibula, uh, femur, all these things super strong and resilient, then you're much likely or much less likely. Uh, to get injured. When you are speaking to some like uh, patients, I guess, what are some of those foundational exercises that you incorporate, maybe more broadly, regardless of whether it's IT band or uh, shin splints, what are some exercises you're typically kind of recommending and incorporating for them? I like to focus more on the principles of closed chain is going to be better than mm -hmm. open chain. And multi-joint movements are going to be better than single yeah. joint movements. You're going to get more bang for your buck. Um, it's going to be more comfortable. You're going to show more gains. Um, and it's just more efficient. You can get more done in less mm -hmm. time. So those are the principles I like to hit. Um, and I usually get more buy-in that way. People are more willing to, okay, I can do five exercises that incorporate two to three joints instead of 12 mm -hmm. exercises that just do one joint or More one fit. muscle group yeah. at a time. Mm -hmm. And you're going to feel better. You're going to get better faster um, while saving time. Gotcha. Essentially. Are there any specific exercises? Uh, I mean, I, the core lifts are core lifts for a reason. I love a deadlift. I love, I love mm -hmm. a squat. Um, I love a pull down. Um, I love a bench press. I love a shoulder press. A basics um, kind of gal. I'll take it. Yeah. The the foundations that's, are foundations. That's what I've for always said. Yeah. Of. I feel like, yeah, that they're they're basics for a reason. And even uh transitioning towards working out of my garage gym, I've kind of only had free weights, whether it is dumbbell, kettlebell, barbell. And um, although sometimes, you know, my my bodybuilding heart still in me uh wants some, you know, a pec deck fly or a lap pull down. At the end of the day, I think my, my body has definitely adapted to be a lot uh, stronger and more of a, uh, almost like a CrossFit style, capable of doing anything more functional by virtue of having to only utilize these free weight movements. And also, you know, your core gets a lot more of a beating uh, because you're constantly working and stabilizing. So that makes a lot of sense. When it comes to injury prevention or prehab, what are some of the pillars you kind of fall back on and uh, think about? 
Um, this is where you kind of need to combine the what activity am I doing? What are the typical injuries with mm -hmm. this activity? And how do I move? Um, so this is where I placed a big emphasis with my business is mechanics and analysis of those mechanics. You are going to see typical patterns. Um, but like I spoke to earlier, you can't use a black and white protocol with everybody. Everybody's just too different. Their anatomy mm -hmm. is different how they learn to move, their proprioception is all different. So you need to see how they do it naturally and then go from there. Um, so I like to analyze their movements um, for whatever sport it is. Obviously for me, it's, mm -hmm. it's running. Um, and then I like to go from there and say, okay, I see your hip drop is greater on your right side versus your left. That's going to lead you at a higher risk for this. So I'm going to give you this to mm -hmm. focus on. Um, so I think prehab needs to be an equation of all of those things to be truly effective without you just doing 16 things before you go out on your run. Um, and it just ends up a little bit overkill. So I think it needs to be a tailored eye. Okay. So yeah. So looking at those, you know, how the athlete, the patient is moving in the sport, um, I guess strength training is another component of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I encourage all of my, all of my athletes that, um, cause I mm -hmm. also coach. So all of my athletes, I, um, I tailor in cross training days and a lot of those cross training days involve some sort of push day, yeah. pull day, leg day, um, on top of, if you want to do some extra endurance training mm -hmm. on a bike or an elliptical, that's fine too. But, um, I think a lot of people take cross training only as cardio and they don't understand that there's also a cardiovascular component yes. of strength training. Um, and then the added benefit of the resistance training mm -hmm. itself. Um, so I like to place that emphasis when it comes to cross gotcha. training. And I guess like a final kind of component to kind of shoe in with injury prevention would be recovery. So we, we kind of teased it a little bit different uh, recovery modalities. I know there's some in the clinical uh, practice, such as like dry needling that I want to ask you about specifically, but what modalities do you feel like actually uh, are legitimate versus more gimmicky? Uh, what are you leaning towards these days? Oh, um, <laughs> that's tough. For so long, it was like, ultrasound mm -hmm. and hot packs and ice packs and things like that. And I, I love the, the research and the evidence behind, um, you know, contrast baths and, um, you know, alternating from a cold plunge yeah. to a sauna. Yeah. I think, um, that is something that it, it's still being knocked on because it, it is trendy, mm -hmm. but I think it's trendy for a reason. It, it, it is helpful. There is scientific research behind it, mm -hmm. supporting it. So um, I think that is a great one. Um, dry needling also, I think, is seriously underutilized. Talk um, to me about that. How, how does that because, work entirely? Because yeah. I remember when I shadowed, um, the physical therapist that I shadowed was a big fan of it. And she would always describe it as, you know, you're, you're th tossing in this needle into the, uh, the muscle fascia. And she would, you, she would add a little bit of like a spin to it. And it would kind of describe it like spaghetti. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the idea behind dry needling, you are using the same needle that you would find um, if you were going to acupuncture. Yeah. Same exact needle, um, but the concept and the theory behind it compared to acupuncture is different. Um, there is a lot of overlap, and it's kind of spooky how much overlap there is between um, a more musculoskeletal dry needling theory and a Chinese medicine acupuncture mm -hmm. theory. Um, they're just 
key points that are helpful. And sometimes we can't always mm -hmm. explain why. Um, so as far as that goes, um, that's kind of the similarities of it. And what this needle does is we're tapping into your body's natural capability to heal itself. So what we're doing is we are taking and creating what we call a micro trauma. So the reason we use the acupuncture needle is because it's teeny tiny. It's a monofilament needle. The risk of it doing any serious damage aside from you poking it into vital organs is mm -hmm. near none. Um, so what we do with that is we, uh, we analyze, we figure out where the pain is coming from. Um, and that's where we are going to put the needle. Um, like you were saying, when you shadowed, you saw them mm -hmm. twist it. So winding is a technique that we use and it just adds tension into that area. So it's going to feel more intense for your patient. It's going to increase the resistance in that needle, but it's also going to speed everything up. So in adding that twist or adding e-stim, or um, you can also um, piston the needle and that's where you're going to see um, the fun like twitch response if you're mm -hmm. in the right area. So if you piston the needle enough, you'll get that muscle to twitch and activate. Um, you will cause a chemical cascade that is telling your body something is injured. We need to send all of our good healing chemicals to that area mm -hmm. to repair it. So we are tapping into our body's own natural healing and natural resources to fix our own dysfunction. Obviously you need to fix the mechanics and things on top of it so that you're not just in a vicious mm -hmm. cycle, but using the monofilament needle to let your body do mm. the work. And it's really incredible. You see a lot of great benefits very, very quickly. Yeah, that is pretty fascinating. Yeah. I, I always have kind of thought of or use acupuncture or dry needling pretty interchangeably. What is again, the exact uh, difference between the two? So the theories behind um, where you needle oh, okay. is... Uh, the biggest difference. So with Chinese medicine, they go off of uh, meridians within the body, the flow of chi, um, based on your symptoms, they have different acupoints mm -hmm. that they have attributed to those symptoms. So like there's one uh, point in the hand that is associated with um, various um, mm -hmm. illnesses. And so it's like right here in your thumb, they use this point for a lot of different things that have nothing to do with your hand okay. or your thumb. So it's a little bit more like um, spiritual or intuitive rather than uh, objective or analytical or uh, I guess scientific approach of dry kneeling. Okay. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gotcha. So let's talk a little bit about what you're, what you're doing now, what you're trying to transition to with this kind of whole entrepreneurship side of things. What is the, I guess broadly or whatever comes to mind, what are some of the differences between this more like mobile care versus uh, traditional clinical setting? Yeah. So the idea is, um, you know, one of the common things that I have spoken mm -hmm. about over the last half an hour or so is that it needs to be person specific. So what I am working on and mm -hmm. what I'm doing is making it as specific as I can. So as the PT, I bring my knowledge and my ability to analyze and the software that I use to analyze mechanics to you. So if you run on a treadmill, we're going to check you out on a treadmill. If you like to run on this trail or you're going to run a road race, that's where we're going to analyze your mechanics. So the benefit is that we are putting the training where the function is happening. If you have a specific route that you like to train on and you always feel your pains spike up mm -hmm. in that one place, that's where we're going to go and where we're going to work and analyze and then derive everything from there. 
So it helps me be more yeah. specific and tailor um, more uniquely to each person. Okay. And as you're doing this, because obviously, like you mentioned, you're still working in the clinical setting. So this is kind of a, a passion and an extension of yourself that you're trying to uh, continue to scale, grow, and let flourish. What are some of the struggles that you ran into as far as transitioning into this kind of entrepreneurship model of PT? Oh, um, well, for one, it is still so freaking hot yes, outside here in Austin. Um, and running, you know, it typically is an outside sport. So um, there's there's been a big hang up there is that people don't want to go run outside right now. And I'll say they don't want to deal with the that, heat. <laughs> the, the, what it was like five days I spent in Austin. I told Jeremy, I was like, I've never seen so many runners in one spot. Not that I've been to all the popular running cities or anything like that. Um, not in like the heart of Denver. I'm in Colorado Springs and we still have like a good running crowd, but specifically like that loop um, by what is it? Sea home. Is that the area? Yeah. There's so many runners. Yeah. So many runners run groups. It's crazy. So I I get that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. It's just, it's been unreal. And while there's still a lot of people out right now, Mm -hmm. for sure. uh, There are a lot of people staying inside and they are waiting to try gotcha. again later. So potential clientele is, is a little bit lower than usual, but uh, I guess how, how is it trying to get, get word of mouth? And I know right now, I believe on your website, you know, you, you don't take traditional uh, insurance. So like what is your kind of value yeah. proposition to these people? Of course, the specificity, I love hearing that. It makes perfect sense to me. But, you know, how, what is, I guess, the pushback or the, the pause, the sticking point for people? Yeah. So, I mean, obviously it's going to be a more expensive mm-hmm. service. Um, while you can use, you know, HSAs and FSAs and things like that to cover something like this, it, mm-hmm. it adds up. Um, part of the reason that I don't have a traditional insurance reimbursement model is because insurance reimbursement specifically for therapy, despite all of the research saying how helpful therapy is, is pennies to the dollar, particularly when it comes compared to um, a medical office or a medical visit. Um, It is insane, the difference. Um, So for me to get something like that, I I would basically just be doing it for free. Um, And there would be a very serious limit. The Um, PT benefits that typically come with an insurance Mm -hmm. program are you get 12 visits for the year. How are you going to fix anything with with the other struggle, especially if you have more than one issue? The other struggle I've seen is sometimes a PT wants to offer, let's say a certain modality, but if their insurance doesn't cover it, they don't get it. And that's just what's so frustrating Mm -hmm. about uh, the healthcare system is just, they make it so hard to get the simple coverage you want and it's more expensive and it's just, you know, they'll put an ice pack on you and boom, they're going to ring it up for like $200 on your insurance or something like that. It's just, it's very frustrating. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, so while it is, um, it is going to be more of an investment in yourself, the benefit, the biggest benefit is that there is no limit. You, can access me anytime you want for as long as Mm. you need. Whereas if Medicare says you get six visits, you get six visits and that's all. And I am going to be basically doing it for free. Um, 
so it's the hoops to jump through and the, um, you know, the bottom line of the equation is it's just not mm -hmm. worth it. And there has been a big shift over the last five, seven years into concierge medicine. So I do firmly believe that therapy in specific is heading in this direction. Yeah. So I'm just trying to be, ahead you know, ahead yeah. of the curve here. Well, I like it too, because yeah. again, uh, not only are your limit or your visits not limited, but also if something pops up again, you've built that relationship one-on-one -on -one and they can, you know, ring you up and, uh, and you can come and address it and speak to them about it too. So I think that's a big benefit as well. Yeah. Gotcha. Absolutely. So Victoria, what's next for you? Um, it could be business related, but also personally related. You got races coming up. What's the next kind of big steps of the business? What do you got for me? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I launched my business back in June, very so we're still fresh, very much yeah. in planning, <laughs> planning mm -hmm. phases and, um, marketing and telling anyone and everyone who will listen about me, um, uh, which has been, I, I have a very, um, type a science mind. So that is, um, a really fun learning experience for me. Um, so learning the ins and outs of that, uh, and learning that I do enjoy it, um, has been nice. But personally, I, uh, I am running the Houston Marathon in January, so I have really taken advantage of the summer heat. Accolade. to yeah, get um, ready for that, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, get a good foundation before that training block starts. Um, yeah, that's the, that's the biggest thing. And then just having fun with mm -hmm. it all. I mean, what's the, what's the point if it's not that's fun? Right. So um, I'm just enjoying it and using it to kind of, get out and explore and meet people and it's a new city uh, for you partly that's what right? took me to cool down. So, um, I've been here about two, okay. two and a half years. Okay. Um, cool. but I'd say I didn't take advantage of it until the last yeah. year or so. Um, and so it's kind of the business itself and me wanting it to do well has, uh, kind of you. pushed me yeah, out into yeah. the city. I'm, I'm a yeah. little bit of that as well. I get that. So where can people find you and uh, where can they find the business? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you can find our Instagram vagabond running physio. Um, I'm on TikTok, uh, vagabondita Victoria, and then you can find us. Um, our website is just vagabondrunningphysio.com. Um, Perfect. Awesome. Well, if you guys are in the Austin, Texas area, you got an agony injury hit of Victoria. She'll get you all set. Uh, if you guys enjoyed this podcast, make sure to share it with a friend. Um, reach out if you have any questions, and I'll catch you guys in the next one.